Hey everyone, welcome to Ben Better, How About You? I'm your host, Katie Nara, and I've suffered from depression nearly my entire life. It sucks. This is a podcast that focuses on mental health, broken down in a relatable way and told through personal experiences. P.S. I'm not a doctor, but each week my guests and I will cover everything from recognizing symptoms of anxiety and depression to providing accessible tips, tools, and resources that support mental wellness. So get your weekly prescription with me. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Ben Better, How About You? I'm your host, Katie Nara, and today I'm joined by Dr. Drew Ramsey. Dr. Ramsey is a psychiatrist, author, farmer, and one of the leading proponents of using nutritional interventions for mental wellness. He's an assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at Columbia University, Vagilos College of Physicians and Surgeons. He's also the founder of the Brain Food Clinic in New York City. Dr. Ramsey is a popular speaker who's given three recent TEDx talks and conducts workshops nationally. He lives with his wife and two children in New York City and on their organic farm in rural Indiana. Today, we are going to talk about how to feed your mental health. Hi, Dr. Drew. How are you? I'm doing very well, Katie. How are you? I'm good. Excited to be here with you and uh, talk about all things mental health. Yes, and you're you are in Jackson Hole right now, which I'm very jealous about. I'm in, I'm in Jackson, Wyoming. That's true. That's um, uh, that's I've, I've I've joined the you know half a million people of Wyoming. <laughs> um, so let's start simple. What is one thing that most people can eat at every meal to help their mental health? Water would be the first one that comes to mind. It's some things, uh, things that people are missing. And I, and I don't mean to go nutrient with you. It's just, you know, I think any singular food for me, like I'm going to get bored. Like this is my favorite kombucha, but like I didn't have it last week. You're really trying to get a sponsorship with this kombucha. I am happy leaf come to me. Like <laughs> I already fangirled them too much. It's anyway, Katie. So, so water for sure. Most people are missing water mm-hmm. or they're drinking the stuff that realistically is just bad for your mental health, right? Alcohol, soda, energy drinks. Energy like drinks are not good. Energy drinks are horrible for your mental health. I mean, it's like basically anything that comes from like, I don't want to call, I don't know, like bro-y culture like that. I, I just think it hasn't really been designed in any way with your mind or mental health or brain cells uh, being considered. And so that's sort of a blanket statement, but like, I think energy drinks, I don't know. Yeah, they're bad for your mental health. All right, no, coffee I Coffee is good for your mental health. Coffee but, uh, is? I would say coffee, like if you need stimulation, oh, God. lots of good ones, like coffee, green tea, matcha. I mean, there's a lot of stimulating, focusing things in the natural world that I would say at least for as I think about food and what we put in our bodies and how that relates to our mental health, where when people want some stimulation, I want to direct them there in dark chocolate. But you asked a good question about like, what are people missing at every meal? And, and just to sort of take a step back. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm a nutritional psychiatrist and really one of the early nutritional psychiatrists on the clinical side, meaning that along with all the theories and research, I sit down with patients every day and I try and understand what works and what doesn't work and how to employ the evidence to help get people better. And the evidence has been telling us that food really does relate to mental health, particularly depression and dementia and anxiety. And that what we eat 
has a lot to do with our mental health risks. So the risk of getting depressed and, you know, it's not surprising. Everybody listening probably can imagine eating a more traditional Mediterranean style, whole foods kind of clean diet. Mm -hmm. It's probably good for our mental health. And that's true. Um, and so as we think about like, what do you want at every meal in nutritional psychiatry and, and in my, my latest book, um, eat to beat depression and anxiety, where I really I try read to, it. I'm glad I know you tweeted or you uh, Instagrammed it. I'm so thankful for food, uh, greens, nuts, and beans, and a little yeah. dark chocolate. How about right. that? So that there you go. And, and so when we're thinking, and those are what Katie just mentioned, everybody are the food categories that, you know, I, I had like a serious affair with kale. I mean, if anybody, <laughs> you're kind of obsessed kale. with kale. You, you yeah, really, I mean, you, you may need to they, calm down. I calm down, but like if people I have, I've totally calmed down. Like all the leafy greens and I are getting down. But I, kale was my muse. I would say if you wondered where the kale case, craze came from, like I that's I, I'm a, a merry team of kale revelers, and I made that happen. So, uh, but let's so move basically, on. your wife should be worried about kale. You know, my wife really <laughs> supported me. One one summer on the farm, we planted grew from seed and planted 54 different varietals of kale. And I don't know a lot of wow. partners who would be in full support of that, but she definitely was. And, All right. you know, so she hasn't felt threatened by kale. It's just a leafy green. All right. Me. All right. Good to I'm know. Steal me away. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, but leafy greens, right. Mm -hmm. All of them are good for you. All of them have a, a lot of the qualities of kale. Kale might be an all-star for a variety of reasons. And I'd go La Sonata if you go kale, just to say. But uh, it, the, there's sunflower sprouts and mesclun. And um, here in Jackson, Wyoming, there's a vertical farm. So it's an indoor farm. They are really intentional about their employment model. So they have a very, um, uh, I would say, able-focused workforce. It's a very diverse workforce and non-traditional workforce. And they're growing greens indoors. Wow! And so all of uh, the families here, a lot of them are, are. You get this carton of greens that was just grown a, a few miles away. And, and I'm, I'm bringing this up because there's so many. It's such an interesting mix: little beet greens and right. kale and the little frilly ones. And so, by getting that diversity in your leafy greens, you're getting a, a variety of phytonutrients. But anyway, so back to every day, right? You want to think like, hey, am I having leafy greens? Why? fiber, hydration, folate, vitamin K, lots of nutrition. I look for rainbows on plates, especially like boring meals, like breakfast where people are kind of, mm, kind of beige um, in their food. So that's a good uh, point. Do you think a lot of people skip breakfast? I do. I think with the rise of intermittent fasting, the popularity of um, sort of ketones and ketotic diets and low carb diets, you know, one of the ways that people try and approximate that and kind of, you know, these fast mimicking diets is, is you know, to, to have a no carb or no breakfast. And so if you have a low carb dinner, and that means, you know, your last serious carbohydrates, maybe you were lunchish, which is usually a bad idea, but, you know, uh, you, you then are getting into like the 24 hour kind of fast if you, if you skip breakfast right. or 18 hour fast. Um, so you begin to activate some mechanisms, but I feel like I take too much medicine to do any sort of intermittent fasting, but are you, I hate to use the word against, but do you feel like that is not helpful for people's mental health generally, or it's too hard to say that to make a general statement like that? Well, I, you know, I think it's often hard to make a general statement. I wouldn't say that I support intermittent fasting. Um, I, I think it's interesting, especially where there are some challenges often with psychiatric medicines or challenges 
around food from psychiatric symptoms and syndromes. If you have depression, boy, you often have a challenge at times with carbohydrates and with carbohydrate craving. And so oh. trying to kind of, a lot of medicines cause weight gain. Maybe it's three or four yeah. pounds or five pounds, right? But I think often medicine dismisses that where for a lot of people, that, that really leads to uh, a lot of really negative thoughts about themselves. And we can, you know, no, talk look, back like and- I, whenever I'm on the right dose of Zoloft, I'm 10 pounds heavier, but without it, I'm suicidal, to be honest. So well, like, I have to be on it. I can't yeah, try I mean, to not be on it. And it's sort of like, that's just the way it is. And I, and I find my antidepressants work better when I eat three solid meals a day. Well, I'm so happy to talk to you, Katie. First of all, thank you. I'm sure your listeners have heard that, but but I, I like people being upfront about that, especially wonderful people like you, because I think there's a lot of bias about psychiatric medications. I think there's a lot of bias about Zoloft. And I think there's also this notion yeah. in the wellness world that's it's really been like nails on chalkboard to me because there's this real anti-pharmaceutical, anti-medicine movement that leads up to really bias and discrimination against patients who or people who, who make those choices. Well, My who sense, also would be probably not living without them. So thank you. Yeah. yeah, there's also when you're kind of been at the deep end of the pool, like you and I have, right. uh, you, you see that uh, oftentimes people who are speaking are either speaking about their own individual experience, which often has been negative with psychiatry, mm-hmm. mental health and medicine. So just let's acknowledge that for sure, but also haven't been with a lot, you know, they haven't spent a lot of nights in a psychiatric emergency room, seeing what really happens when people's mental health really, really uh, gets derailed. And, and that's where, you know, thank goodness for medications. And also just there are certain people for whatever reasons, we're trying to understand genetics, epigenetics, inflammation, microbiome. In some ways, some of the things I try and touch on and eat to beat depression and anxiety to give people some tools. I don't think everybody has that knowledge that you said, hey, my antidepressant works better when I eat well. And there's a lot of data that supports that. It's to note the most impressive trials about antidepressants and about food as an antidepressant treatment. Um, or as a depression treatment, it, the food is augmenting and uh, treatment as usual. So a lot of the people in these trials are on antidepressants, they're taking medications, they're in psychotherapy, and they get this nutritional psychiatry education and encouragement. And sometimes they're actually even given food. Some of these trials, there's like, they get a little box of like nut butters and nuts and spices. And I'm like, yeah, I want to be in that study. Yeah, Olive great. oil. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And and so uh, uh, the best data says, hey, the way we really can shift mental health and better serve patients is not making nutritional psychiatry and food advice about this is the only thing we need to do for our mental health. I've been in psychotherapy and psychoanalysis my entire adult life. That's part of how I stay well and have been on and off medications at different times Mm -hmm. in my life. and um, and it's nice to be in a forum to, I don't usually disclose that, but uh, you know, I like that you set the stage for transparency and honesty because <laughs> the more we all talk about that, the more people feel encouraged that there are a lot of solutions. And so when we're in that dark spot at 2 a.m. with the Uggs and we can't <laughs> sleep and our brain's in that bad spot going over all the bad stuff, you know, it helps me to remember no matter how bad I'm feeling, that there's a lot of other options, a lot of things I haven't tried, a lot mm-hmm. of people who would be encouraging me. And so for anybody who's listening, you know, who's been in that dark spot, you gotta always, uh, always remember and keep in your mind that there's a, there's a, a lot more out there. There's another day. Um, 
there, there's a lot of treatment options and uh, yeah, but it doesn't feel that way when you're in a bad spot. No, and so, yeah. but like you said, there's so many different options now. And I think also sometimes when some people are very anti, um, you know, pharma or prescription medications, or I know a lot of people are very anti Adderall and some people actually need Adderall. You know what I mean? That they've had a bad experience or maybe they didn't have a doctor that was as invested as let's say my psychiatrist has been, or, you know, it takes a while to find even the right doctor. It's like dating. Like you don't just walk in and you're like, this guy or woman is great. I love your tips for that. I do think it's really, it's really know, hard. It's really hard. I mean, it's, uh, you know, mental health clinicians where, uh, you know, we can be a nutty bunch. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I think it's, uh, you know, the field is really changing. I mean, I think a lot of people think, you know, it's all like old white guys and that's really not true. I mean, my, uh, my yeah, field psychiatry yeah. is really, it's one of the most diverse in medicine. Um, is it really? Uh, uh, over 50% women. I'm pretty sure. Um, you know, female, female leadership, uh, for the last, I don't know, of, of the APA American psychiatric mm -hmm. association presidents, like the last three have been women, uh, of the last four. I mean, so it's really, it, it's been, a it, it's been a, uh, yeah, all to say, no matter who you are, or where, kind of what your background is, um, you can now find mental health care that feels um, syntonic to you, that feels like maybe someone who might understand you or your values a little better. Um, not to say that we all have to be the same to do that, but um, I think sometimes that helps. Yeah. Did it take you a long time to find the right um, therapist? Uh, well, that's a good question. I've had a lot of different therapists. Let's see. I saw when I was in medical school, I started seeing Mark. Mark was a, actually, he was, uh, uh, I think, a, uh, in the clergy is sort of how he'd gotten his... A priest? Uh, uh, it wasn't a priest, but he was sort of from a theological background. And I, it was a low-fee psychotherapy clinic when I was a, a very, very neurotic, angsty medical student in my 20s. And, uh, and then when I went up uh, for my clinical years in Indianapolis, I saw a uh, really lovely psychiatrist, really one of my first introductions clinically to psychodynamic psychotherapy, uh, Rod Rodney Deaton, great, great psychiatrist. I think Rodney went down to, I think down to Tennessee. Um, what is psychodynamics, just for anyone? Yeah, great. I'm so sorry. Psychodynamics is, you know, um, psych so psychotherapy is talk therapy. And usually that, at least in our clinic, is, you know, you come and you, you have a spot and that's your time. And we explore uh, really at first what's going on that's brought you to treatment and how to get get that, those symptoms under control quickly. But, but often for people more uh, of understanding who they are, the conflicts in their lives, um, there's a lot of processing of trauma that most people have to do. Um, psychodynamics is the idea that we both have a conscious mind, right? And we have an unconscious mind and that our unconscious mind is, is really um, in a, uh, a kind of active conversation with us and at play. Unconscious stuff is why we want to be on time, but we're late. Unconscious stuff is where um, a good example of um, Freudian slips where mm -hmm. you say one thing, but whoops, you didn't mean to say that, but you kind of did. Um, those are some examples. Uh, the unconscious, I think, is really relevant also because we often feel driven or kind of pushed in a way. I describe it to patients as it's like when you are in a sailboat and you kind of set your sight, you know, on on, a, on the lighthouse and you're going along and you haven't moved, but somehow 
you're no longer going towards the lighthouse. And it's because the current underneath you has sort of pulled you in the wrong direction. And so, um, and the unconscious mind is also what we access through dreams, through uh, what originally was developed as free association, that idea of, of just please tell me, tell me what comes to mind. I've done, then I've done that kind of therapy. I feel like I knew it as free association, like whatever yeah. comes to mind. Yeah. Whatever comes to mind. And, and that can be frustrating for some people, but over time, if you give in to that process in a certain way and really share the things that are hard to share, oftentimes the things that people don't share with anyone else, uh, really a lot comes to light and, and, and comes to light within the relationship. And so that's um, psychodynamic therapy, another way to think about it is psychoanalysis, the kind of going on the couch and not looking at the therapist and saying whatever comes to mind four or five times a week. That's psychoanalysis. It still exists to lots of wonderful psychoanalytic centers. Psychodynamic psychotherapy is kind of the more once a week, twice a week. How do we take those principles but apply them in active talk therapies? Um, uh, so that's psychodynamic psychotherapy. That's right. a great question. Thank you for this breakdown of this. Um, I really want you to break down BDNFs. Okay, BDNF. So BDNF. It's but a great quickly, question. I have to tell you, I thought because I first heard you talk about this in a TED talk, and I thought you said BDMF, and so then I looked it up. It was big dumb motherfucker when I was looking for the the like explanation. I was like, I don't think that's what he meant. I think I need to rewatch this TED talk. <laughs> well, yeah, that's not what I meant. In <laughs> N, maybe I didn't enunciate. Maybe not. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm scrolling through the book, everybody. So I apologize for looking down because I want to find an illustration for you. About yeah, you have good illustrations in there. Thank you. These are, by the way, Katrin Christian, a uh, uh, Kristen, a German uh, graduate student in marketing. Oh, who cool. Got in touch. A great Instagram story. So this is a diagram, that, and these are throughout the book to try and illustrate some of these concepts. You know, they sound really like wonky and sciencey and nerdy, but they're, for me, really important for people to know about because they provide us, they should provide us with so much hope. Yeah. You know, it's not like it's like, oh, uh, uh, like some mystery, like, hey, how do we help Katie's brain grow and repair? How do we help keep it free of depression? Like, we really know about that down to the molecular level now. And at the center of that story, in my mind, is BDNF. BDNF stands for brain derived, I meaning we got it in the brain when we found it, neurotrophic factor. And so neurotrophic factors are a set of growth factors in the brain. And they signal neurons and cells around the brain cells to, to uh, do a few things. One, to repair and kind of keep neurons alive. That's mm -hmm. a good thing. Uh, the other very special is called neurogenesis, which is to give birth to new brain cells. It oh, doesn't wow. happen a lot, but it happens in the hippocampus. And it's just kind of, again, to me, inspiring, like, wow, if things are not feeling great upstairs, there's hope that I can, through effort, through therapies, through medications, through intentional lifestyle choices, mm -hmm. I can help my brain grow and repair and heal. I, I, that gives me a lot of hope. And so BDNF is at the center of that story. And there's also a lot of evidence, the ways that we get better. How does psychotherapy seem to work? Psychotherapy increases BDNF. And, and really? I'm sorry, the, the last thing, yeah, last thing that BDNF does, great research. Um, Jeffrey Miller is the head of neuroimaging at Columbia Psychiatry. Okay. Of my, I just love Jeff Miller. He's just awesome and really, really smart. But also, like, uh, I trained with him, and he's like a really good therapist. But then he went this like super researchy route about imaging things, like psychotherapy. It's a super cool study right now on inflammation and imaging. Oh, and it, cool! Anyway. So, um, uh, 
BDNF, the third thing that does it is it, 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 it is what causes neurons to sprout new connections. So okay. when okay. a neuron is kind of like a tree and when it's going to like reach out a new root or a new branch and kind of connect to another brain cell, it, it happens through what's called, you know, uh, synaptogenesis, making new synapses. Okay. A synapse okay. is like a connection between two brain cells. And so what's exciting is there are a lot of things we can do in our life that seem to impact BDNF. Also your Zoloft, one of the, you know, we always say it's serotonin, it's serotonin, it's serotonin, it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, but what does the serotonin actually end up downstream signaling for a lot of antidepressants, for lithium, for ketamine, it, they're they, they trigger BDNF and they trigger brain repair. Also, a lot of people don't know that the antidepressants like SSRIs, Prozac and Zoloft and Folks, I don't take any money from any pharmaceutical companies. I Nor just, do I, I, but I would like right. to. I don't. I just prescribe. <laughs> I just. I just prescribe what um, the evidence suggests I should. But th those medicines, I was really surprised to learn, are also really powerful anti-inflammatories. Oh, I didn't like, know that. Google fluoxetine anti-inflammatory, okay. and that's a great paper about how Prozac and other SSRIs have anti-inflammatory qualities. So again, if we just think about depression not as like you know personal failure character problem bad right, mom what sad. If, yeah. yeah if if we think about it as for some people not everyone having roots in for whatever reason having a lot of inflammation maybe you just got genes that are that way or maybe you have genes that are being triggered by some lifestyle choices maybe you're eating lots and lots of trans fats and food dyes and simple sugars and you've gained a lot of weight so there's a lot of inflammatory factors going around and that is all contributed to you developing depression or anxiety. That, 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 again, it's not how it works for everybody, but for a lot of people, some research suggests like a third or half of people, some of these inflammatory pathways are really involved in depression. So, sorry, we kind of went from BDNF to oh, inflammation, okay. but those are kind of like, think about these as like the forces in our brains, right? Yeah. We're, either, we're either trying to get our brains to grow with BDNF and we're trying to not, not I wouldn't say fight inflammation, that's why, but I would say regulate inflammation. Right. right. We want we want our body to have an inflammatory process. Otherwise, we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't we wouldn't be able to um, heal or repair or recover in any way. Well, a big thing you were saying was that how important it is to snack on nuts, right? Like yeah. that can really help the BDNFs. Is that right? Uh, so, or is, am I simplifying it too much? I don't know. No, I'd like to try to give well, people tips, like. Yeah, let's talk tips because it's really it's important helpful. to talk practical things like we should say anchovies and kefir just uh, if we don't get to go so people eat them and sunflower sprouts. But um, uh, and, and so, yeah, nuts, there's a little bit of research and it's a probably extrapolation of this data. There's only one study that looks at BDNF levels and okay. food intake where they did a study where they gave people nuts uh, who are already eating the Mediterranean diet and monitored that they were eating them. And they found that people who got nuts versus some other things had protection from severely low levels of BDNF. Now, there's a lot of reasons that I like nuts besides that simple fact. It, they, they are satiating. A lot of people worry like, oh, they're fatty. There's a lot of calories. Well, But it's it, good fat, no? It, well, it's a good fat. Monounsaturated fat or oleic acid. There's some data that actually... Oh, if you look at oleic acid intake, there's a protection over 10 years from depression. So okay. eating more olive oil is good. Also, if we look at all of the research about brain health and dementia, right, we all know it says Mediterranean diet, Mediterranean diet, right? Blah. 
but I'm from Indiana, right? Mediterranean diet means like Pizza Hut. Well, my That's dad's like, Lebanese, so I'm lucky. We kind of grew up. Yeah, I, I like your Instagram. You've got like, you've got <laughs> all the good stuff. It's well, that's like, that's such. It's it, a great it's actually, diet. And it's also a really important note because so often when we say Mediterranean diet, you know, it's so anglicized, right? We're thinking about Italy or, you know, right. or Spain or, um, or Greece, right? But, but you know, uh, there's, there's such a rich diversity of diet. And I would say that certain uh, really powerful foods like lentils, mm -hmm. really prominent in Middle Eastern diets, you know, and, and used in salads and in stews and all kinds of ways. I have a great lentil Lebanese jedro recipe. It's so okay. good. And it's literally just lentils and onions. Yeah, that's what I love about lentils. When you serve, we make a lentil soup that's like carrot, celery, onion, and lentils. And but some it's great. salt. And people are like, what's in here? I know. Like, it's how we really cook lentils. the onions. I know. You don't. Okay. But it's harder than it sounds to me. But yeah, lent anyway, lentils and legumes and beans and all that. It can really help with all, get our levels, BDNF levels. Uh, yeah, so so in terms of what actually um, triggers BDNF, mm -hmm. six nutrients and some flavonoids. And so this is where when we think about how do we create a human diet to beat depression and anxiety, the way that I've gone about it with the help of some people like Dr. Laura Lachance is to look at the literature and say what nutrients matter. And we found that there are 12 nutrients. We created something called the antidepressant food scale. If you just mm -hmm. Google antidepressant foods, it's an open source paper published in the Journal of World Psychiatry. And it, of those 12 nutrients, is you know what foods have the most of those per calorie? And we created this list of antidepressant foods. And what's really important about those lists is that's how we got to those food categories, right? Because if you look at the top 10 antidepressant foods, they're all leafy greens and rainbow beds, pe peppers, watercress, mescaline, cabbage. And if you look at the plants, I'm sorry, at the animal side of things, uh, you end up with bivalves. Three of the top five antidepressant foods on the animal protein side are uh, mussels, clams, and oysters. I had no and, idea about, oh, I'm going to have to start eating oysters. Well, if there's something that appeals to you, they're one of the most nutrient-dense foods. When I, when I talk Not about- Not really, but I feel like after reading your book, I need to just get well, into you know, that. <laughs> I don't know. It's sort of interesting. I didn't eat any seafood for a long time, Katie. I come from Indiana. Like I said, I was a farm boy, fish like- was gross. I meant fish sticks in the cafeteria, which are gross. My girlfriend from Kansas was is the same way till recently about fish. Like she's yeah. like, we never eat fish. Never. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I'm here in Wyoming, you know, and, and eating some fish with some great trout, you know, yeah. but it, it, when you're on a coast living in Manhattan and New York, as I was for a lot of my life and career, mm -hmm. You know, I really, after when I was there training at Columbia Psychiatry and, and then have, have kind of stayed on there, seafood just was one coming up in the data, mm -hmm. right? So I was kind of a active guy and wanted to take care of my health with food. And I still do, but, but uh, back there, I was young and really passionate about it. And so all this data is coming out saying like, omega-3 fats are good for you. Seafood likely is very good mm -hmm. for brain health. And like, I don't eat any of that stuff. And so I start learning to eat seafood. So you know, oysters might be a tough place to start. I would say if you're new to bivalves, I recommend people start with mussels because I one, like mussels. Yeah. So but mussels are going to give you the benefits of oysters. Okay. They're it's four bucks, five bucks a pound. Usually mm -hmm. they're alive still. People worry about freshness, but you actually, you'll, you see them, they open up in the water and you should put them in cold water and let them kind of open up. Any ones that don't open, chuck. And then the other thing about mussels is you can flavor them so many different ways. You can do a coconut right. curry. You can do a spicy tomato sauce. You can do herbs and white wine and butter. Um, and, 
And it's a really romantic, delicious meal and fun to do at home. So mussels are great. Clams and other really clams are the top uh, source of vitamin B12. Vitamin B12 is our largest B vitamin, super important for brain health. Yeah, nobody knew that. I didn't know that either. But that, you know, it changes how I think about pasta mongole, right? When I'm carb craving, right. one of the reasons I like seafood pasta is because I love pasta. I do and when too. I'm, and it's a real comfort food for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like my mission is to try and make that as healthy as possible. Mm-hmm. And and one of the ways that, that's been helpful for me to do that are some uh, great like uh, pasta con sardi, sardines with like gnocchi or another pasta or a pasta vangole, which is a clam pasta where, you know, yeah. you're getting this incredible nutrient dense um, clam and, you know, you're getting, you're getting some pasta too, but. Um, Are yeah, carbs just really bad for depression? You know, I don't think so because a lot of people who don't eat carbs get depressed. A lot of people who get off carbs entirely also sometimes report, you know, I don't, my I'd mood be is very better. angry. Yeah. And then a lot of people, <laughs> especially people with depression, you know, that it, it's really like bad. I've had a lot of patients come to see me who've talked about trying ketogenic diets or, and, you know, some people do well in those, but some people really irritable, right. depressed, sad, moody. The recent carbohydrate and carbohydrate metabolism is quite related to serotonin, to tryptophan uptake. Tryptophan is what we make serotonin out of. Okay. And, and so there's a lot of theories of what's going on when we're craving carbohydrates. Okay. Um, pasta, bread, I mean, those are all pretty much straight glucose. It's straight blood sugar. And, you know, it's interesting in carb quality, I don't really mind eating glucose. Glucose is blood sugar. What we really want to avoid is eating fructose. Okay. Um, Fruit is fine, but if you look at a lot of processed foods, and one of the reasons we want people to get off of processed foods and on to whole foods really revolves around getting away from a few things that are quite unnatural and lead to a lot of metabolic dysfunction. Lots of fructose or fructose is one of those. Um, you know, you see it, it's called invert sugar. High fructose corn syrup is obviously one where people right. see. Um, uh, I've seen fruit, sugar, solids. I mean, there's what all kinds. Uh, that's a fancy way to say fructose. Yeah. So all, all kinds of, you know, ways they hide it in processed food. It's one of the reasons, you know, if you find yourself reading a lot of labels, right. It's the first kind of red flag to you that you should go to Katie's website and find her lentil recipes and challenge yourself to it's make hard, them. Though. Okay. Hard. Well, make my lentil recipe. <laughs> my lentil want recipe. To make it soup. My lentil recipe is like, yeah, it's like lentils, water, it's like soup and it's good. But um, there getting away from reading labels because you're not eating processed food is is probably the most important thing that you can hear me say wherever you are out there listening that that it's great to think about these power foods for the brain i've got a nice list and eat to beat depression of my favorite foods i love talking about kefir and anchovies and sardines but getting off the processed foods and replacing it with those is, is really that's the challenge that's what we really specialize in at the brain food clinic we really have uh tried to keep up with this data and apply it to the reality of everyday eaters. Uh, I've published four books on this in the last 10 years. And during that entire time, we, uh, we, we've had two kids. And so, you know, there's, there's the reality when I'm writing a cookbook of if it doesn't work for a family, if it doesn't work for mom and dad and kids and, and not that just for families, but you know, if it's not widely palatable and enjoyable and practical, I just don't really have any interest in it because and easy, uh, I, like, or somewhat yeah, easy. It's easy, not a like, complicated recipes or complicated things. 
the top the top ten nutrients and food categories you've talked about where they're in your book and people can find them there and yeah we just looked through also I like on your pay, website you know, yeah there's stuff on my website you know ones that I tend to love and love to get you all eating with your food so pumpkin seeds dark chocolate magnesium zinc okay. vitamin B12 folate which is vitamin B9 vitamin B1 which is used in every uh, uh, chemical um process that makes energy in your body so vitamin, vitamin b1 b9 you yeah, b1 actually thiamine oh, B1. okay yeah thiamine it's, it's also low or in uh pre-diabetics and diabetics so um and what are some other great um, iron long chain omega-3 fats which you mostly find in seafood people like to know they come from algae so if you're a vegan or vegetarian you want to get a non- animal source dha you can it's just a very low dose right I, i'm gonna i have a ahead. question about that all right so i struggle with um back and forth of eating red meat where many okay. times i feel better if i eat it uh-huh. but i know it's not great for the environment and i love animals <laughs> but sometimes my you know i, I don't eat it a lot but Recently, I've noticed if I'm eating, you know, grass-fed beef or, or lamb, you know, which we use in kibbe, that's another Lebanese dish, mm. it just fills me up more. And so yep. then I'm not craving the carbohydrates, but then I feel bad because I know, you know, eating cows and barbecuing are like the worst things for the environment or something, right? Like cooking a so, hamburger. The worst thing uh, for the environment, and this is a, according yes, tell to us. Uh, one of the really... I think great minds thinking about this. David Benjamin, another Columbia colleague, is an architect. You in Columbia, okay? Well, I, mean, I like Columbia. This, yeah, this is where I'm a little kickback from Columbia. Um, I think no kickback from Columbia, <laughs> but, but Dave is more of a friend. But he taught me that 40 percent of all greenhouse gases and emissions come from construction and, and specifically from concrete. Really? Um, yeah. And so, well, agriculture certainly needs to shift, but I would argue that the beef I eat, Katie, is quite good for the environment. I try to limit my beef intake to small farms that have a lot of managed pasture, mm -hmm. meaning that the cows are getting a significant amount of their calories from grass mm -hmm. and hay, but mostly from grass. Um, and in doing that, they're doing a lot of things. They've managed well, they're caring for the soil, they're creating rich soil, they're creating a carbon sink because as opposed to- Carbon sink means that plants take carbon out of the environment and put it into their roots. If you look at the prairie of the, of the American West, uh, what used to be in that big prairie were uh, prairie grasses that had roots that would go down 10, 20 feet. It's really phenomenal. Wow. And, and so you have this mad big biomass that's really sucking carbon out of the environment. So when you compare something like um, growing a field full of soybeans to feed the cows, mm -hmm. first thing you, you're just, it's a very energetic, intensive, uh, very destructive way of farming in terms of you're, you're really just killing everything in that field, planting soybeans, um, harvesting those big machines. When you think about trying to get those calories into cattle by having them simply be on pasture, mm -hmm. it creates a lot of challenges. It would force us all to eat probably less beef. But um, I think there are a number of ways that it's important to consider. One, rural America, 
and yeah. what the reality of the economics in rural America and nutrition in rural America and urban America really look like, which is right now beef is the cheapest, even conventional beef, cheapest way to feed your family. Many and people make a living people, off of a cow. I have a friend that's her father's, you know, living yeah. cow farm. It's, it's probably, uh, you know, yeah. It's not that easy of an answer. I agree with you. People are like, just don't eat beef. And then it's like, well, actually, that would have a trickle. But what I hear in your story, right? History of a suicidal depression, concern about carbohydrate and carbohydrate craving, telling me a little bit of lamb, not every day, but a little bit of lamb. And I would bet probably, um, not to get personal, but for women, a a lot of iron and red meat intake should be post menses, right? Because there's a lot of loss of iron and, and menstruation. And so, uh, in the form of hemoglobin. So the, the the notion that you intentionally integrate some red meats into your life that you feel good about, like you love animals, I love animals too. And so that's a really hard thing for every individual. And that's very personal. And that's one great reason people, some people don't eat meat is yeah. they just really like the brown-eyed bubbas. And so if that's you, you can also take an iron supplement. And I doubt you- But it's very totally- hard. Like my iron was minus 25. Yeah, if I had to have no, I'm not even joking. I had yeah. to go to this hematologist, and my grandfather has the same thing. I had to have iron infusions because basically yeah. the doctor said, even you eating meat or giving you an iron pill, it's not going to be enough. That it gotten so low. And by the way, since I've had them, I feel better mentally, like I, you know, less fog functioning. Oh, better. For sure. so, I mean, not having enough iron is like game what? over. Yeah, capacity in terms of even X. Uh, so, um. Well, but red yeah, meat he was is like, I don't even know how you're walking around. <laughs> <laughs> red meat is one of those things that I think is quite interesting because it's become a focus and a flashpoint of diet. Mm-hmm. And because of this, I think people have really missed the memo, right? That, that in trying to create fake meat and lab grown meats and impossible burgers and all this stuff, it's really missed the point that that processed foods and people who promote processed foods are dangerous for our public health. And there's just, there's really not. uh, I get very, my stomach gets very upset from the fake meat. Yeah. I I, (laughs) I know some people love it. I, it's not for me. You know, what's interesting to me about the, I keep saying interesting, sorry about that, but, but what, (laughs) what I think strange about fake meat is fake, like that it's a victory somehow that, McDonald's and Burger King are serving vegan patties. So again, it feels like we really missed the point that like yeah. if, if we eat fast food, we get sick. It doesn't <laughs> now, matter. Wait, I have an argument for you about okay. fast food. Okay. Now, I love grilled cheese, as you saw. Uh-huh. Okay. I love chicken nuggets. Okay. And I love French fries. And okay. I don't feel bad after I eat them. Okay. I don't eat them every day. But... There's a lot of comfort, I think, that people, and I know you love mac and cheese, and so do I. I'm like a mac and cheese mm-hmm. freak. So, but I like the box mac and cheese. And so it reminds me of my childhood. It's like the powder cheese. I know it's bad. But how can you say like certain things like that are really bad when it brings up a memory or, you know, reminds you of your mom yeah. and. Yeah, I think you're making a good point that there are certain comfort, foods comfort that, food, we, right? that we eat for individual reasons. And that uh, oftentimes before we you know, judge eaters, uh, which I hope <laughs> we don't do very much, it's important to listen to those, right? It's easy to say, oh, box mac and cheese is garbage, right? Sure, it's, it's not brain food, but 
boy, if box mac and cheese makes you really feel close to a relative you've lost or takes you back to a place that allows you to feel more settled and connected. I love it. That's really important for your mental health. And I think people need to embrace that both things can exist at the same time in your eating plan. You can have some chicken nuggets here. You can have a hamburger. You can challenge yourself to make a hamburger really, really healthy or whatever values you choose, whether it's you're really focused on economics of your individual family, or you're really worried about the environment and you want to focus on local grass fed. Mm -hmm. And again, that's for individuals to really decide. Um, So I, I, you know, I, I guess overall, Katie, I I hope what people hear in this is that food relates to mental health and brain health, Mm -hmm. that, that, there's a lot for all of us to learn about that. What I think is helpful because it gets overwhelming to me memorizing like all the, the different nutrients and what has thiamine and magnesium and, is to think in food categories okay. and to really push myself as an eater to keep expanding and evolving, to add in new things, right? I just met Katie. So I'm going to go check out Katie's uh, site and get some Lebanese recipes. That's not part of my uh, cultural past, but it's food that I love. I hope you and know so, how to chop. Well, I know how to chop. Man. Okay. I do. I know. Have you not looked at my Instagram reels? <laughs> it's so, oh, no, but like, like people like tabbouleh, like don't make it in the cuisine mm. art. That's like, okay. All right. No, I've folks, you heard it here. There's like the legit advice. We were all making it in the cuisine art before. Chop it. Yeah. You have okay. to chop it. All right, well, we end always with five questions. Do you have time okay. to qu- let's do quickly let's ask do, you these? We've got three minutes until. Okay, we're going to ask. We're going to ready? Let's do it. Question one. What do you do for a mental break? For mental break, uh, my favorite thing is to play with my kids, uh, especially physical play, you know, backyard. Uh, right now it's winter, we're snowboarding a lot together. Uh, for, for that, for me, that's the best. That, and if I can uh, exercise or process, have some processing conversation with my wife. Okay. When is the last time you cried? Uh, yesterday. Good. I, good. I people I always I'm like astounded people are like it was three months ago so I think that's awesome I wasn't I wasn't a big crier until maybe about two years ago and then some things happened and and I I probably cried in the last maybe year and a half more than I really ever have in my life I've not been a crier and and it's really been uh it's been a little challenging just you know as a I I don't know as a person as somebody who looks to as like I don't know a middle-aged guy who's not supposed to cry people get concerned uh but yeah, I appreciate the question. Yeah, you find it probably cathartic. I mean, I do. What is uh, what are you currently reading besides your own book? Let's you know. Um, let's see. Right now, I'm currently reading "The Self Healing Mind" by Gregory Scott Brown, who is my friend and and brother in all things mental health and media and self care. Greg Scott Brown. Everybody listening should follow him. He's a He's just such a wonderful man. He's a yogi. He's a psychiatrist. He went to Juilliard. Oh, okay, he's not Columbia. Okay. Not, not Columbia. He went to Juilliard. He's nothing. He went. He's on faculty at Dell. Here, I'll drop all kinds of. He has a. He's the founded the Green Psychiatry Center in Austin, Texas, and he's. Wow. So I'm reading Self Healing Mind. I'm reading Michael Pollan's psychedelic book, and as I sit, kind of. I would say con- concerned and curious about how people are interpreting the psychedelic data. Um, but yeah, those are, those are the books that I'm, what is the best and worst advice you've been given? 
you know, the, the best device for me is my aura ring right now. I really have I've worked very hard to monitor my sleep and to really um, uh, nail early morning awakenings and completing multiple three plus sleep cycles, including sort of the brain cleaning deep sleep cycles so i really that came from my uh one of the guys on our team andrew who who had one of these and so i've, I've really that that's been really fun for me uh i can't think of any worse the worst that's really i don't I, I, maybe I don't. it was advice you didn't listen to and like changed your life you know like i don't i don't hang on to those things for that's good okay yeah, but but I'll, I'll think on that okay uh, I'll think of that one. That's all right. And then what Instagram account do you find uplifting? Besides mine, um, you know? Besides Katie, <laughs> there, there are a few that come to mind. I really love neuroradiology, uh, which is one of my favorite feeds. Just shows all this, just, just such beautiful imagery and videos about the brain. It just really, uh, just if you like the brain, neuroradiology, yes. that one is, is really really fun um i've tried to think of other uplifting um sometimes people get caught up in bad oh kojo sarfo i'm actually about to go live with dr kojo sarfo uh dr kojo is uh he's just a wonderful he's just a wonderful new voice in mental health he dances and just is spreading the truth about mental health in in so many directions so he he always makes he always makes me uh, smile, and then uh, and then Umanadu, uh, Umanadu is they're really kind of two folks pushing nutritional psychiatry and have been for years. And Uma is my brain food sister up at Harvard. She, I, I just the reason that cheers me up is I see her content, and and we're you know and we're we're preaching this thing, and I feel. I don't know. It just makes me like feel you have like a partner in the crusade. It makes me feel we're getting somewhere, you know. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. Shouts out to Dr. Drew Ramsey for joining me. We are so thrilled to have you. Where can our listeners find you? For sure, everyone. And Katie, thank you so much for a lovely conversation. Yes. I hope we can come back and talk more as you just have a lot of mental health experience and great questions and, and we can and talk more about all this stuff. Um, everybody, I'm, I'm Drew Ramsey, MD. I'm easy to find on Instagram at Drew Ramsey, MD. I've got a website, DrewRamseyMD.com. And the great things to check out, we've got a, a free brain food on a budget download. Oh, that's we great. Have, um, we've got a couple of e-courses, including a new e-course launching called Healing the Modern Brain, which is all about the real science behind what types of lifestyle choices we can do that will help us beat depression and anxiety. This is on your um, website. Yep, it's on my website and really fun Friday Feels newsletter. So so check all that stuff out. And uh, I look forward to Katie uh, getting to know you better and, and talking more in the future. And thanks so much for the great conversation today. All and right. I hope I hope you find a kombucha that you like this week. Oh, weekend. my gosh. You'll have to send me the name of that again. That's all, folks. Be sure to subscribe to Ben Better HBU. We can be found on Apple and Spotify. And tune in next time. Thank you for tuning in to Ben Better, How About You? To learn more, please visit benbetterhbu.com and check out our Instagram, bbhbu. Slide into our DMs with your questions and or comments. Also, be sure to subscribe for your weekly prescription. This pharmacy is open 24-7.